Buddhist geeks. Seriously Buddhist, seriously geeky. Episode 114, Different Types of Jhana, Sutta, Vasudhimaga, and Vipassana. Richard Shankman, meditation teacher and author, joins us again to discuss the various understandings of jhana, or meditative absorption, that can be found in the Theravada Buddhist tradition. This is part two of a two-part series. Buddhist Geeks is supported largely by the generosity of our listeners. If you like what we're doing, please consider making a one-time or a small recurring donation by visiting buddhadharma20.com slash donate. And in your book, uh, I noticed after laying out some of these distinctions and talking more about the traditional Theravada approach to samadhi, you also ended up interviewing a lot of different teachers yeah. Jack Hornfield, Sharon Salzberg, Christina Feldman, um, several monks in the yeah. Theravada. And I'm wondering if you could maybe describe how it would be different, these two different approaches, the Pali Sutta approach and the Vasudhimaga, in terms of the technique and how, if you could give an example of a teacher that teaches sure. one versus the other. Sure. Yeah. Well, let's just take Sharon Salzberg, for example. She is a teacher in, in the interviews. She's at one end of what I would call one end of the spectrum. She would teach a practice in which you maybe start with the breath, for example, to get settled, but at some point aren't necessarily... I don't want to misrepresent her, so I want to be careful, but this is the basic idea in her interview, is the most important thing is, as the mind is settled, is being mindful the best you can, moment by moment, with whatever's in your experience. That's just pretty standard mindfulness-type practice. And she may have you stay on the breath a lot and give it some preference, or maybe not. I, I'm not so sure about that. But the important thing is she just wants you to get a certain level of undistractedness but not put an emphasis on concentration. And it's just by being mindful moment by moment of whatever's happening, you naturally get all the concentration you need, and you don't worry about it. And you just be, do the best you can with mindfulness. So that's kind of one type of practice. A different type of practice that a number of teachers who were interviewed talked about is emphasizing breath meditation, similar to how I practice, but they work with the breath in different ways. If you were to work with this Burmese master named Sayadaw Pau Ak, he's strict Vasudhimaga style. What he wants you to do is stay with the breath, stay with the breath exclusively, I mean as much as you can, and by doing that you get more, the breath at the nose, he's very specific, and he wants you to get very, very narrowly focused and then what he says is, at a certain point, a light will appear in the mind. You'll see as if you were looking through your eyes at a bright light, although it is coming through through your, the visual sense door, it's not actually through your eyes. It's purely mental. And that's, that is called a nimitta, and the nimitta just means sign of samadhi. And what he wants you to do is, when that nimitta gets strong... He wants you to let go of the breath completely and put all your focus just on that mental image, the nimitta. And then, by doing that and staying with that until it gets stronger and stronger, you will what's called absorb or just kind of merge in, if you will, because your concentrations go into that light, and you'll just be absorbed into the, in the first jhana, which is characterized by 
bliss and there's a number of factors that characterize it. And the mind is unmoving, cannot move, and you know it's not like you wander off or anything. So he will have you practice in that particular way, very specific. That's a fine way to practice. You know, all of these are fine ways to practice. The only downside with with Powak style is there's actually only a relatively small percentage of people who get the visual light in the mind. It has nothing to do with how strong your concentration is. It just depends on how, I don't know, maybe it's how neurons are wired up in your brain or who knows why it is. But the nimitta, the sign of concentration, can come through any of the senses. What are the signs of concentration? They're the experiences that show that you've got samadhi. It might be a sense of peace or bliss or expansiveness or calm or steadiness. Or for some people, they'll see a light. It just varies. So I know someone who spent two years as a monk in Burma with Powak. And he came back and he told me, I said, how's your retreat? And he said, well, it's a good retreat. You know, I was doing great, but, you know, didn't get John. Well... I didn't explore it in depth with him, but, you know, I wouldn't be so... I have a feeling what happened is he didn't get a visual light in the mind. Mm. But, again, it's not only manifest through the visual senses. So in that way, it's just not true what Powak's saying, um, even though, and again, I want to be careful saying it like that. I don't want to be disrespectful. I've met Powak. I have tremendous respect for him and for his practice. But I'm just saying... That's one of these one-size-fits-all approaches to practice, and it's just mm-hmm. not true for everyone. So then there's other people like Ajahn Tanisaro, who's also known as Tan Jeff. He's the second interview in the book. He practices in a style that's, it just happens to be pretty close to... The techniques are a little different, but uh, similar to how I tend to practice. And what he has you do is work with the breath but then rather than getting more and more narrowly focused and then you have this nimitta, he wants you to practice in a way where using the breath, it opens up naturally into mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of what's going on in the states of the heart and the mind. It actually opens into everything else. The breath gets you concentrated, but then it's a doorway to open into everything. Through the breath, your mind is still and concentrated, but it doesn't exclude anything. It actually opens up. Into, it's a doorway. That's the way to say it. It's a doorway into all of the foundations of mindfulness. There, if you took it all the way, you would come to jhana. But jhana in the Pali Suttas is different than the jhana in the Vasudhimaga. You don't lose experience of the body. It's the opposite. You have very enhanced, intimate, deep connection with the body. So it's the opposite of a Sudhi Magajana. It turns out in the Theravada literature, there's two complete different jhana systems. There's the Sudhi Magajana and there's Sutta Jhana. They're just completely different. Once we realize that, then we can stop arguing with each other about what's the right jhana. Right, so that's that's a kind of a framework to explain, hey, there are these two different approaches, and we don't need to right. split hairs about which one works. We just need to acknowledge that these are actually different. In some right, ways. they're just yeah. two completely different systems, and I think anybody who would look, that's, if you go in my book, you don't have to believe me, I, I sort of work through the text, it's pretty obvious, and it's not just in the text, people are really having these different kinds of experiences, so mm. they're all actual meditative states that a person can experience. You can have a Sudhimagajana, you can have Sutta Jhana, by the way, I should say, these are terms that I coined, 
I may or may not have been the first one to use them, but I did coin those terms. So when I'm saying the Sudhimagajana and Suttajana, people need to be aware. That's me. That's, I don't know if other people are saying that. And you've got to remember, there's plenty of people who would disagree with what I'm saying and would say, no, 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 the Vasudhimagi is the right way to interpret it. And, you know, there's this right or wrong, and there are not two separate systems. But... Um, just be aware that you know some of the things I'm saying here, not everyone agrees with. Okay, and I'm wondering, you've kind of started to touch on this, but how does jhana play a role in liberation? I mean, it sounds like you've already touched into this, where the Palisutta jhanas don't really make a strong distinction like that. Whereas in the Vasudhimaga, for instance, you'd see very specific ways in which you cultivate this intense jhana experience, and you come out of it right. and do these other practices, and that leads to liberation. But I'm wondering right. if you could say more specifically about how jhana, in particular these two different kinds of jhana, factor in with liberation or enlightenment. Yes. In the Vasudhimaga, if that's the approach you're taking, jhana clearly is not necessary at all for liberation because there's two separate paths, and there's actually this path of vipassana, which you you know you go straight to insight practice and you never even are interested in jhana, or even try to attain jhana. So, um, clearly from the Vasudhimaga, jhana is not necessary for liberation. Um, Since I have not reached the end of the path myself, I I can't speak from direct knowledge. I'm just talking about what's in the tradition and what's in the texts, as far as reaching the end of the path. In the Pali Suttas, well, it's a different story. There's no place in the suttas that say explicitly, directly, that jhana either is or is not required to become a full arhat, fully enlightened. However, I'd say at the very least, it's a huge big deal in the suttas, and it's hard to get away from the importance of jhana. I mean, right samadhi of the Eightfold Path is defined explicitly in the suttas many times as, as the four jhanas. You know, it's hard to get away from the importance of jhana in the suttas, but I would stop short of saying categorically the suttas say you have to have jhana to reach full liberation. I think you can, you know, if you work on it, you can find evidence that that's not true. Mm. I don't know if the listeners will, will know much about these four stages of enlightenment. In the Theravada tradition, enlightenment happens in these four stages. Uh, you know, stream enterer. Uh, once-returner, non-returner, and arhat. We don't have to get into what all that is, but I would say definitely the case for jhana being necessary to be a stream-enterer in the suttas is it's not so clear, but the case gets increasingly strong with each stage of enlightenment. Mm -hmm. But I would also say what I think is important is I want to really stress that people as much as possible when I'm teaching, not be striving towards any particular level of samadhi or any level of anything that they feel like they have to attain. So if I'm teaching a retreat, for example, I spend a lot of time, and every day I remind people about just using your mindfulness to connect with whatever's happening in your experience. Just like you'd be taught in any traditional insight meditation retreat. If we don't want to set up, you know, I've got to get jhana and I'm not concentrated enough, you just relax and be as easeful as possible. 
you know, sort of that cliche of just being here now with whatever your experience is. And then from that place, yes, let's do practices that will naturally head us towards deepening samadhi, deepening mindfulness, deepening clarity of mind, all of these qualities. So from that place, then we don't set up, you know, that old, I've got to get that and, and set up a suffering. And not only does it help prevent suffering, but if we get too constricted or tight or struggling, that itself is an agitation of mind that actually prevents the deeper levels of samadhi. In fact, people who tend to overstrive, for them it's actually harder to attain jhana. They can do it, but they just need some work to help. You know, if the mind can't relax, because the jhana is actually a place of deep ease and relaxation. It's not a place of doing. So you're saying when when you're actually practicing, keep in mind that striving or over-cogitating on this stuff it will actually be an obstacle. But but then when we're talking about and, it more in an academic way, like from the outside, you know, yeah. we can make these distinctions and not get too caught up. Right. Okay. Yeah, and so the whole reason in my mind of thinking about, well, what do these texts say? You know, are there these different maps? Because there's a lot of confusion out there, I think. You know, you'll hear people, one teacher will say something, another teacher will say something else. And it's not only there's the Sudhimaga and Sutta, but it's all, it's all gotten mushed together out there in a lot of people's minds. So if we can kind of tease it all apart and be clear what the tradition is saying, and then we can see where all these different teachers are, sort of where they fall in the map or the, the terrain of, of various approaches, then I think it can help, really, the, the bottom line to all of this is, is it helping inform my own practice? And I want to take the geekiness level up to, like, 10 and okay. ask a what question here. I don't know. If we're up there, we're probably in, like, 7 or 8 range here, I think. Okay. <laughs> this is great. This is great. Um, <laughs> I wanted to ask, because I, I felt like you're starting to get into this, and this is a distinction I've heard made by Sayada Upandita and Joseph Goldstein yeah. and other teachers that I've worked with that they talk about the path of insight as being a kind of vipassana jhana that there right. are these you could talk about the stages of insight in terms of jhanas and so in that sense one could go through the four vipassana jhanas on the way to stream entry for instance right. and in that sense it sounds like that's more kind of in line with the way it's talked about the Pali Suttas, like somehow the, you can't right. really separate these two, that, they, that they're very common or they're very similar right. in some way. Well, let me just give you my theory, and I want to be really clear when I say it's, or it's my hypothesis, I should be uh, more accurate. I don't know this for sure. I have read, I think Upandita talks about Papasana Jhanas in his book, In This Very Life, mm-hmm. I believe, and there's so, you know, I've read what he says, Papasana Jhanas. As far as I can tell, he may not have coined it, but I haven't heard the term Vipassana jhana anywhere else except from him. It may be some other people. First, I didn't know what he was talking about. And then as I started working on this book and really plowing through these texts, I think what he's talking about is what I'm calling sutta jhana. You have to keep in mind that for Upandita, coming out of the Mahasi tradition, the Vasudhi Maga is everything. I mean, they would say that, the, of course, the suttas are everything, but that they're interpreting it all through the Vasudhimaga. And all of those practices, everything, all the way they're teaching, the way they teach metta practice, all of that, loving-kindness practice, all of that is straight out of the Vasudhimaga. So if that's true, if his interpretation of jhana is Vasudhimaga, he doesn't have a framework 
or language to talk about these states of absorption, these jhana states, if they don't match up with the Vasudhimaga definition. So he had to call them something. But he's actually talking about a state of jhana or absorption in which it's exactly what I was saying before. You haven't shut off from the flow of changing experience. You're deeply immersed in it. I believe that what he, when he uses the term Vipassana jhana, he's actually talking about what I'm calling sutta jhana. Yeah. And that, See, and if he had read my book, <laughs> he'd be clear. Yeah. Send him a copy. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's really interesting that looking at it in, in terms of the Vipassana jhanas and the, and the shamatha jhanas, it's interesting right. because that itself is a framework that kind of begins to integrate them and show that maybe one could be a more drier you know, way of progressing through the same terrain, you could say, yeah. the same stratum of mind somehow, yeah. and the other would be more of a solid, pleasant experience of going through the same terrain. But then that brings up the question, well, if you just did this deep Vasudhimaga practice, well, the claim yeah. that's being made is, well, you could get into these deep, 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 formless even space of mind or, or experience yeah. of mind, but that somehow you still have to understand or penetrate the three characteristics of it before you're that's really right. awake. So that right. that's, seems really interesting. wonder if you could say a little bit about, about that. Well, let's put it this way. Both the Vasudhimaga and the suttas are, are in agreement that states of deep, one-pointed, what's called fixed concentration, in which you lose all awareness of changing phenomena, are not necessary for liberation. They're all in agreement with that. It just happens that the Sudhimaga calls those states jhana, and the suttas really don't talk about those kind of states. So if you want to go into those kind of meditation states, I'm, now I'm speaking more experientially, not, not so much from text. Mm -hmm. um, there's a number of benefits of going into those kind of states that are disconnected, if you will, from, from the body and from changing experience. I think there's something very healing about those states, very, I don't know, nourishing or nurturing. Uh, they're very restful. They have their own benefits. There's just no question about that. And they do bring a clarity of mind. But there's also no question that in and of themselves, they're just real, real, I mean, they're really pleasant states. You know, people often warn, the suttas don't do this, but people often warn, don't practice jhana because you're going to become attached to those states. And look, yeah, you're going to get attached to those states. They're really pleasant. They feel great. Who wouldn't want to have those kind of experiences, right? So that's a potential trap that you have to watch out for. So just having these, when you come out of them, you still might have some calmness that carries with you some stability, but it hasn't necessarily uprooted what's known as the defilements, the places in the mind that are still prone to getting caught in greed, hatred, and delusion and reactivity or whatever. So the insight is something else. Now, I don't have enough experience on the insight side with those Vasudhimaga states to talk about it so much, except to say just from a textual, from, from the point of view of the Vasudhimaga itself, you do need to turn the mind in a different direction. You need to actually come out of those jhanas and do this other thing called Vipassana meditation. So the text is saying that in and of themselves, Vasudhimaga jhana is has benefits, but it's not directly they don't it's not directly connected to insight. From a sutta perspective, um, it's a different kind of jhana. It's it's qualitatively 
subjectively different, right? So you still have the same depth of stillness. Again, like I say, but the mind is more open and, and the mind has stopped, not the flow of experience has stopped. So from there, insights can come right out of the state of the jhana itself. So we're talking about a different kind of right. meditative state. Yes. And there, it really gets back to what stages of insight, like you were saying Joseph or Upandita were talking about. You know, you can be in these meditative states, and for example, maybe it can happen in many, many different ways. But just for example, suppose you start to see that the body kind of dissolves away, that really, oh, it's just an energy field, or there's not much substance there. Actually, one thing I should also say is when the body dissolves away in that kind of experience, it can feel very similar to the Sudhimaka-style jhana where you, where you don't feel your body. You know, it gets subtle in these states. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the, the insights can come right in that state. You don't have to come out of the state because you haven't lost anything. As a matter of fact, you're more clearly connected with what's actually happening. So the insights, those happen right in the state of jhana. Now, they also happen when you come out and you're not in jhana and you're just, you know, you, you had one sitting period where you're in these deep, fantastic meditation states, and then you get up for a walking period, and then you come back and all of a sudden you're struggling with hindrances, right? Mm-hmm. That's another place that's very important where insights come, because we get to work with the mind in, in, in different ways. Yes. You know, when we're struggling and we're not in jhana and we get to see, can we turn our mind to the difficulties and learn to let go of our suffering? Is it a different way that insights come? Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com slash conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.